Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. in the A.M., 6.30 in the morning on a Friday. That is from uh, the Sphere of Bashira CD from Mendy Werdiger, the Rabona Shal Olam that uh, we say uh, when counting the Omer. Yossi Goldstein before that with Cold O.D. Bain HaOlam, that's Barry Weber, Bitachon, had Kiesh Marash Shabbat and Kari Bone, both off the West Side's Mirod CD. And the Regesh... Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday morning. It's JM in the AM on this 24th day of April, day five in the month of ER. Today is traditionally Yom Atzmur. Today is traditionally Israel Independence Day, but because of Shabbos, it is uh, moved back. And um, we had an amazing and incredible Israel Independence Day celebration for Israel's 67th birthday yesterday. Really amazing. And I want to thank Mayor Weingarten. Without his help, it would not have been as amazing a show as it was, that's for sure. And um, the reaction we've gotten from around the world to yesterday's show has been incredibly positive. So thank you to all of you who uh, joined in in one way, shape, or form to help us celebrate Israel on a very, very special day. Uh, today is day 20 in the counting of the Omer. Today is day 20 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. That's two weeks and six days. Day number 20. Uh, it's Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Tazria, and Mitzorah, a double Parsha, uh, with candle lighting at 725 on this Erev Shabbos. 725 is uh, candle lighting time. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Well, Bench Bahab. If you're not familiar with that, consult with your local rabbi. We'll bench Bahab tomorrow, and the Bahab will start on uh, Monday. And um, that tradition, uh, we bench Bahab tomorrow because you wait till after Rosh Chodesh to actually um, to actually uh, announce or bring in or bench Bahab. Um, after a yunt, if you wait till after Rosh Chodesh. JM in the AM weather forecast. We've got 38 degrees outside. I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. 38 degrees. It's freezing out there. It really is cold. Uh, feels like 35, so the wind, thank goodness, is nothing horrible. Uh, 49% humidity, winds west at 5. Today, partly cloudy, a high 53. Clear skies tonight, but going down to 37. Sunny for Shabbos with 62 degrees, the high. 62, the high on Shabbos. What are we expecting on Sunday? Oh, Sunday also 62. Good. That's good to know. Monday and Tuesday around that area as well. So tonight should be the coldest of the next few nights. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, we'll check out the temperature in Jerusalem in just a moment. Uh, we can't get away from this winter, can we? Impossible. I want to thank both Mark Zamek and Naomi Nachman. They put together an amazing stunt show uh, from the barbecue grill of the Zamek home, uh, which took place this past Sunday. We aired it yesterday, hour number one. We aired yesterday in the stunt show slot, 1 p.m. And now today, uh, with a, a help from uh, Yossi Hollander from Cedar Market and Seth Levitt from Abels and Hyman and Jay Booksbaum of Kedem, 
Uh, hour number two is going to be presented on the program that we call um, A Table for Two. And that's going to be hour two of that incredible barbecue special uh, coming up between 9 and 10 this morning right after JM in the AM. A reminder, this coming Sunday, well, first of all, we have amazing programming on our stream. Great programming tomorrow night, kicking things off with Saturday Night Seagull uh, with Avrami. And then on Sunday, Amatis starts our programming with JM Sunday between 7 and 9 a.m. We are going to be webcasting. We're going to be webcasting on Sunday starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time from the uh, from the OU Jewish Community Fair. 47 communities from around North America will be represented at the Jewish Community Fair on West 46th Street in New York City this coming Sunday beginning at noon. We'll be there at 1 o'clock. We have an amazing list that we have chosen, that we have randomly chosen. We have an amazing list that we've randomly chosen of communities that we're going to be uh, speaking with on Sunday. Plus, of course, our friends from Nefesh Benefesh will be there uh, for those who are ready to uh, head to the Holy Land. So that should be interesting. And uh, it's always fun meeting people from around the country, different communities, and you know, joking around how we didn't know there were any Jewish communities outside the New York area. Uh, that's going to be happening Sunday. Information, ou.org slash community, ou.org slash community, as we get set for Sunday. The temperature in Yerushalayim is 56. They're also, I think, uh, in unseasonable uh, mode over in Israel. That's what it seems like. Boy, oh, boy. Um... 24 minutes before 7 o'clock. It's JM in the AM. We continue with 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial and around the world in the web, JM in the AM dot O-R-G. I don't know. 
Oh, uh-huh. 
The Maccabees, America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Galates on the background, news next, plenty more, including the weekly update coming up at 7.40 this morning. Keep it right here at JMNAM. Galates on Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. We say Boker Tov from JMNAM. גליצה על השעה שתיים, כאן כרמית ראובן בצלאל עם מה שקורה עכשיו. תנועת הרכבות באזור מושב דור חודשה באופן חלקי לאחר שהופסקה בעקבות תאונה בין רכבת לרכב פרטי. כתבנו קובי מנדל. כאמור, לפני זמן קצר חודשה תנועת הרכבות מצפון ומדרום, אך בקטע שבו הראה התאונה עדיין, התנועה מתנהלת על מסילה אחת. התאונה הראה הבוקר כשנהג צעיר בן 25 מג'יסר א-זרקא פרץ את מחסום הרכבת במושב דור ובנס הוא נחלץ במצב קל עד בינוני. צוות מד"א פינה אותו לבית החולים הלל יפה בחדרה ונוסע מהרכבת פונה לבית החולים רמב"ם במצב קל. המשטרה כעת חוקרת את נסיבות התאונה. מאולפן גלגלצ נמסר שכביש נחשולים שהיה חסום נפתח לתנועה בשני הכיוונים. משלחת ישראלית נמצאת כעת בבירת ארמניה בטקס לציון מאה שנים לרצח העם הארמני. כתבתנו אליל שחר. בטקס נוכחים נשיאי רוסיה, צרפת, סרביה וקפריסין ונציגים מלמעלה מ-60 מדינות. את ישראל מייצגת משלחת בראשות חבר הכנסת דוקטור נחמן שי ובהשתתפות חברת הכנסת דוקטור ענת ברקו. חבר הכנסת שי אמר לנשיא ארמניה, אנחנו מבינים אולי יותר מעמים אחרים את הסבל והכאב של העם הארמני וחולקים עמכם את הטרגדיה האיומה. במקדוניה, 14 מהגרים נדרסו למוות על ידי רכבת, כתבנו אלדר גילרן. הטלוויזיה הממלכתית במקדוניה מדווחת כי 14 בני אדם שהגרו באופן לא חוקי למדינה נהרגו על ידי רכבת בעיר ולס. המהגרים ככל הנראה הלכו על פסי הרכבת כחלק ממסלול ההגירה שלהם בדרכם למרכז אירופה. מקדוניה, מדינת גבול של האיחוד האירופי, הפכה בשנים האחרונות לשער מעבר לאלפי מהגרים מדי שנה מאפריקה, אסיה והמזרח התיכון. ספורט, כתבנו תיאו וייס עם תוצאות הגרלת חצי הגמר של ליגת האלופות בכדורגל. ההגרלה קבעה שברצלונה תשחק מול ביין מינכן ובכך פפ גוורדיולה, מאמן ביין, יפגוש את קבוצתו לשעבר. האלופה הנוכחית ריאל מדריד תתמודד מול יובנטוס בשחזור חצי הגמר מ-2003. המשחקים יערכו בתחילת החודש הבא. מזג האוויר היום עדיין קריר ומחר יהיה נאה. ולסיום, ישראל מדורגת במקום האחד עשר במדד העושר העולמי. כתבתנו עפרי אשל. על פי סקר שנערך מדי שנה על ידי האו"ם, ובוכן 158 מדינות ברחבי העולם, לפי מדדים כמו תוחלת חיים, רמת שחיתות ו...
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos. It's the 24th of April, day uh, 5 in the month of E.R. Day 20 in the counting of the Omer. It's day 20. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. It's two weeks and six days. Erev Shabbos, Parshas, uh, Tazria, and Mitzora. And, um, yeah, I think we're still a Parsha off from Israel, right? I believe they're also reading uh, a double Parsha this week of Acharimos Kedoshim, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, one Parsha off. Or actually two, to be more accurate. <laughs> Candle lighting at 725 on this era of Shabbos. 725. Just a note, I gotta check that out. Cause we keep hearing we're going to be catching up on Bahar Bukhukosai, that they'll read Bukhukosai in Israel, and a double parsha here. Just have to confirm that. 39 degrees, partly cloudy, a high temperature of 52. The app is open. Trucker Yitz is out there. He says, it's cold in the Catskills, snowing here in Swan Lake, New York. Oh, my gosh. Wants us to warm him up with some Arab Shabbos music. I cannot believe it's snowing in this immediate listening area. Unbelievable. Um, <laughs> listener Yehudas is saying, stay safe, Trucker Yitz. Yes, stay safe, Trucker Yitz. One of our most uh, dedicated listeners. Uh, Glenn Richter sent me an email this morning that I'd like to read to you, and uh, there are people in this audience that likely would want to respond to this. Um, Vladimir Slaypak, those of you who were a part of the grassroots Soviet jury movement, and I mean anybody, from leadership all the way down to students like me who took to the streets once in a while, Vladimir Slaypak is a name you would know. He was one of the most important of all the refuseniks in the USSR. A warm, striking figure, Glenn Richter writes, with a huge, distinctive beard. He, his wife, Masha, and son, Sanya, and Lonya, had an apartment on Gorky Street in downtown Moscow that became the Grand Central Station for thousands of refuseniks and Western visitors. The Kremlin punished him by sending him to Siberian exile. After 15 years of refusal, the Slipaks won their dream of Aliyah to Israel. Many of us reunited with them in joy. Their sons went to the U.S. for the past three years, uh, Volodya and Masha, Volodya meaning Vladimir, and Masha in failing health have quietly stayed in New York to be near their children. Uh, Vladimir Slaypak has just passed away. Rabbi Avi Weiss, who headed the student struggle for Soviet jury, informed me that the Leviah will be this Sunday, 1 p.m., at the Plaza Memorial Chapel, 91st Street and Amsterdam Avenue in Manhattan. It would be a great honor to Vladimir Volodya Slaypak. Um, and the vital role he played in the liberation of Soviet Jews, of those who met him in Moscow and those who fought for the Slipak's freedom could attend. So that's uh, the Plaza Memorial Chapel, one of the great Soviet refuseniks. Uh, the funeral takes place at 1 p.m., 91st Street, Amsterdam Avenue, this coming Sunday. Everybody's encouraged to be there. And, of course, if you're somebody who knew Vladimir, you're um, certainly encouraged to attend and to send him off with proper, uh, with, um, with a proper send off. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, it's JM in the AM. Malcolm Honline will join us. Weekly update coming up at 7.40 this morning here at JM in the AM, or by Uden, of course, at 8.15. Uh, second half of the 
big barbecue show that Mark Zamek and Naomi Nachman did together is coming up during Table for Two. I want to thank uh, Yossi Hollander of Cedar Market in Teaneck, uh, Seth Levitt of Abels and Hyman, Jay Booksbaum of Kedem. They all participated, had a major role in the big barbecue extravaganza. <laughs> not everybody got the barbecue yesterday in Israel on Yom Ha'atzmut. The weather was not cooperating. Lots of rain and wind in different areas. Uh, but we'll take care of that. We'll, we'll present a barbecue hour coming up on Table for Two right after JM in the AM. Great weekend programming, including, don't forget, this coming Sunday we'll be at the OU Jewish Community Fair in New York City. Information OU.org slash community.
J.M. in the A.M. at 18 minutes after 7 o'clock. On uh, Sunday at 1 o'clock, and we have amazing programming all through the weekend on our stream at jmandam.org. Uh, incredible Arab Shabbos music mix. I want to thank Leo and everybody at Filler Up on West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey. I was there last Friday. They're playing the Arab Shabbos music mix, getting everybody into the mood, and I greatly appreciate that. We recommend that to everybody. Um, coming up Saturday night, Avrami uh, will kick off our Saturday night programming with Saturday Night Seagull, starting at 9 p.m. And uh, on Sunday morning, Matis kicks off our Sunday programming starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time with JM Sunday. And uh, coming up on Sunday at 1 o'clock, we're going to be webcasting from the OU Jewish Community Fair. There are... Um, there are... Um, I think 47 communities. Go to ou.org slash community. You'll see it. I think there are 47 communities that are being represented, plus Israel through Nefesh Benefesh. Pretty amazing. You can register and be there in Midtown Manhattan anytime between noon and 6 this Sunday by going to ou.org slash community. Anyway, uh, we have randomly uh, assigned the, uh, I should say, randomly chosen the communities that we're going to be speaking with, we already spoke to Dallas earlier this week here at JM in the AM. We're going to be speaking with Phoenix, Twin Rivers, West Hartford, Atlanta, Boynton Beach, Memphis, Overland Park, Stamford, Malden, and Ronhurst. Those are the communities that we're going to try to get on the show between 1 and 3 p.m. on Sunday when we webcast from the event, so... Make sure to be tuned in. It should be a lot of fun whenever we speak to out-of-town communities. Usually there's a moment or two that uh, that are pretty funny um, as we discover things about places outside New York and New Jersey. So tune in and enjoy, and uh, we look forward to seeing everybody at that event this coming Sunday. A big event. Congratulations to the OU. They have grown this event into really an amazing uh, uh, display. It's incredible how many people show up representing so many folks from uh, so many different communities around the country. It's pretty cool. Yeshiva Boys, acapella style, they're next to JM in the AM.
Sides mirrored with the uh, bitachon. Uh, before that, Gershon Verobo off of the Yom Tov Treasury, a Sameach music release with Mim Komcha. You heard Yehuda Solomon, Vishamru off of Shabbos a cappella, Yeshiva Boys before that, Erev Shabbos, both Tazria and Mitzorah. We were right. Double Parsha today, in, or actually tomorrow in Israel. We will catch up eventually at Bahar Buchukosai. We'll read both, and they'll read Buchukosai. Candle lighting 725 on this era of Shabbos, 725. 
Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It's day 20 in the counting of the Omer, day 20, two weeks and six days. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Big morning to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to provide thousands and thousands of interesting articles that you as a listener of this show would be very, very interested in. You may want to print out some of them before Shabbos. Uh, JewishWorldReview.com with a comprehensive look at uh, so many different topics in the Jewish world through the different articles that they post. Check them out today, and we thank them for enthusiastically recommending our live stream at jmnam.org to our incre- to their incredible readership. Uh, Sunday, we're at the uh, OU Jewish Community Fair. Uh, go to ou.org slash community fair. That starts at 12. We'll webcast starting at 1 o'clock. As we said earlier, the list of the communities I will be speaking with has already been uh, released. We mentioned it earlier. I'm sure we'll mention it before we leave the air today. And uh, you have an opportunity to uh, check out a whole bunch of communities, plus our friends at Nefesh Benefesh will be there as well for those who want to head to Israel ASAP. Uh, that'll all be uh, happening this Sunday at the OU Jewish Community Fair, ou.org slash community for all the information. Uh, Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, thank you. It's been good to be back with you. And I bring you regards from many friends in the Livingston area where I spoke Wednesday night for uh, five shuls came together for Yom Azimut and Yom Zikaron. And on Sunday at Congregation Ortara and Edison, where also a group of shuls and community have come together for an event. So all of your uh, fans who are out there and clamoring for you. <laughs> I greatly appreciate it. A, 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 a way to get back on our good side after avoiding us for a couple of weeks. I like that. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you should have heard the speculation about why you were avoiding, and I obviously you weren't avoiding, it was scheduling conflicts, but why you were quote-unquote avoiding making public statements here in the last couple of weeks. People have an unbelievable imagination and really like to, you know, to, to make up news stories, frankly. <laughs> well, I think that uh, that creativity ought to be applied <laughs> correctly, and it's purely uh, scheduling issues, and I've you know, been making statements and appearing a lot of places, a lot of things. Uh, in the interim, but uh, meanwhile, your Pesach was spectacular, I hear, and you had a very meaningful trip to Eastern Europe as well. The Prime experience was truly remarkable and wonderful. As in the past, it was uh, really a great yontiv, and I hope everyone had a great yontiv and many happy matzahs. You know, it's hard for a leader like you to speak out against the ostentation of uh, Pesach programs in our community. I'm all in favor of. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a proponent. Had a, feel, had a feeling you fell on that side of the issue. <laughs> By the way, I do want to mention, I'm glad Malcolm uh, mentioned the Yomat Smut programs that he was part of. Uh, I wanted to mention yesterday we had an amazing Yomat Smut celebration here. Listeners who haven't heard it yet or haven't participated by hearing it, uh, myself and Mayor Weingarten uh, on the air yesterday, please access later on the archive at jmnam.org. I think you will very much appreciate it. All right, we have an opportunity to get back into the news of the last couple of weeks. First of all, uh, it, was there, in fact, a, a missile fired on Stay Road yesterday? There was a missile fired. It was uh, not Hamas. Hamas denied it, and the Israelis seemed to indicate that it was not. Uh, it, it, whether it was an errant uh, misfire on the part of the, an individual or something that you know can just go off, but it does indicate... Again, 
the level of activity that's going on along the Gaza border. We know that Iran has poured tens of millions of dollars through the Iran Revolutionary Guard into into uh, Gaza for uh, Pidge and now for Hamas. They've sort of reconciled, and it gives them access, Iran access to Israel's southern border, as Hezbollah does to Israel's northern border. It also uh, gives them a base against uh, Egypt and to uh, and to be able to heat things up whenever uh, they want. So the activity uh, of several kinds, one is the building of tunnels, which is where the money goes into that they get from uh, Iran not to benefit the people, and they use the cement that the international community forced Israel to, to supply, even though they warned them and they said, no, there would be markers, they would track it. And we know that it is going there, and we they could see sometimes the big trucks, earth-moving trucks that are, uh, involved in the in the building of the tunnels, they also have miniaturized or small bulldozers and earth movers that they can uh, go into, you know, these holes and and to reopen and rebuild. So now those on tunnels their side of the border, but in order to come to the other side. How much more quickly can they be built now? I mean, not that you have an exact statistic, but I mean, I guess what used to take, you know. I, I assume weeks and months now takes days and weeks. Is that type of thing? They can weeks and they first of all you have the infrastructure. They've been working on it since the end of the war, but in this case, we're talking about them coming closer and closer to the border area. Israel has new technology uh, sensors that can te- detect it, but it's not fully deployed and it's it's not uh, it's not perfect yet. But it, it is um, an important step forward. Oh, that's what they mean by the underground Iron Dome, like that type of thing. That's exactly what right sensors. And why do I think that last year as well, on Yom Ha'atzmaut, maybe it was a coincidence, there was also some type of lone missile attack. Am I right that it's possible that this that this, this mistake of yesterday, whatever we want to call it, isolated incident, is because Israel was celebrating that day or, or not? It would otherwise be a big con- coincidence, right. I think, if, uh, if that weren't the case. And the, um, you know, the fact that it wasn't followed up by anything else is, is pretty much an indication that, it's, um, that it probably is a, an isolated event. But it's also test. You know, they are building more and more short-range missiles with much heavier payloads because of Iron Dome intercepting the longer-range missiles. They are building uh, ones that would attack communities nearer to to the border, which, of course, has caused a lot of reaction. And those communities are putting up trees in order to block the view and hopefully uh, aid to to deter attacks on on the different communities. But it is uh, clear... That the uh, that the Iranians are escalating the assistance and the Hamas, which by the way this week uh, received the visit of Palestinian Authority ministers and promptly put them under house arrest in a hotel in uh, in Gaza, and they eventually left without meeting anybody. And Palestinians living in Gaza came to to meet with them and I guess to talk about those who have family or other things in the other in the Yudon Shamron, uh, but we're turned away and and uh, never got to see them. So this is uh, when they talk about the rapprochement, they talk about the Hamas and the PA working together, and that, that this was supposed to be the opening salvo and trying to reconcile 
uh, you, the answer was very quick in coming. Right. To, to us, uh, it always looks like there's more unity among the terrorists. Right. Sometimes to others, it looks like there's a lot of unity and there should be more in our community. Uh, but uh, sometimes from the outside, it appears that way. And yes, uh, we are encouraging all of us to continue this unified effort. Uh, but that is a topic for another day. Um, we, we, I, I, I promised too many people that we would uh, ask you to explain to us the Iran deal and, and this congressional involvement or uninvolvement that that is so difficult sometimes to understand, and we'll get to that in a second. But first, is there going to be an Israeli government? Is there going to be a uh, a deal struck in the next few days? There will be a government by May 7th. May 8th is the deadline. It will be probably a limited government, not a unity government. That could happen later on, but that that is not what's going to happen now as far as I can see. It will it will be a 67-member uh, center-right government uh, with the parties that everybody's discussed. Now, it is possible that um, the, the, the tensions that have been written about could block it, which means that the president could turn to you know any member of Knesset, but uh, certainly first would be to Herzog, and the general assessment is that he cannot form uh, a 61-seat government. So Netanyahu... Uh, will work feverishly to get it done by uh, May 7th. And the most pronounced of those tensions is, which is the one that's getting the most publicity? Well, it's always over competition over who gets what seats uh, about uh, certain positions. But the, the, with the religious ministry, for instance, became an issue if, if uh, Derry got it versus uh, Bennett and over some of the economic ministries. And the prime minister declared that we could would get um, the major ministries would, would be held with him, and you saw that by Yehudi blasted the prime minister just yesterday that uh, he said, I think that we won't be smacked around, and that there's no government without us, and they're all playing uh, their cards mm. because they want to leverage the best uh, the best seats and the best uh, uh, positions, those with the greatest clout in, in the sense that they have patronage. And, you know, they need jobs for the people who supported them. Right. All right. Many of us are familiar with the news story of a couple of weeks back when President Obama and Secretary Kerry announced the nuclear deal. Uh, but many of us are also confused about the involvement or uninvolvement or the dependence or or undependence of Congress in this deal. And if Congress actually has a role or not, we are getting mixed messages. Could you explain? That's exactly right. <laughs> it's mixed messages, huh? <laughs> and I don't know anybody, anybody who tells you that they understand all of this and know what's going on is lying. Wow. Because it is very confusing, and it depends on your interpretation. And if you look at each of the critical aspects, we'll come to the role of Congress in a second, but if you look at each of the critical aspects of, of the deal, what was originally demanded in the U.N. resolutions, which said zero enrichment, and we're talking about 6,000. They can retain the other ones. They don't have to put out the, the enriched uranium to another country. The dismantling of the facilities, gone. The Iraq reactor, supposed to be made of light, light of water, going to be dismantled. We find that uh, even Fordo, the underground facility, would be allowed to function on a limited basis, not enriching but doing other things. But the fact is that if you leave it intact, regardless of what you're doing with it, it's going to, you can easily switch it back. And we know that you can tell when the Iranians are lying because their lips are moving, that the they will cheat, they are cheating. Ali Heinen, who used to be the 
deputy head of the IEA inspector uh, at the International Atomic Energy Agency, said that if they're not lying now, it's the first time in 20 years that that's true. <laughs> we know that they have uh, other facilities and, uh, and can guarantee it. So what the IEA told me when we were in Vienna said it's not the places we know about that worry us. It's not what we don't know about those places that worry us. It's about the places we don't know about that mm-hmm. worries us. Mm-hmm. And the technology is not there. They don't have the manpower, et cetera, to do it. And we were supposed to the demanding unfettered access any time to every place, including military places. The Iran Revolutionary Guard says now, no, there will be absolutely no access to any military sites. Khomeini says we want immediate relief from the sanctions. The assessment of uh, even Secretary Muniz, who's the Secretary of Energy, who joined the negotiations and brought the technical expertise and uh, was praised for his role, he said it will take six months before Iran would be in a position to get sanctions relief, meaning to have progressed sufficiently in the steps they have to take. And yet we hear talk that $50 million sign-up bonus uh, out of the money that's being frozen could be the Europeans will do it and the United States won't. It could be that the United States will say this is not part of the of the sanctions regime. This was money that we froze, and they can't. And there are different levels of sanctions. You have the U.N. sanctions, you have the congressional sanctions, you have the administration sanctions. Has any of this changed yet? Like, has any sanction been lifted? Has any money been transferred? Has any of this happened yet? Well, there are. The part of the joint deal, the JPOA, was that there would be some relief, although the sanctions uh, remain in place, and the administration says that, look, we, we, it cost them more money than, than the relief that was given. They were given uh, access. Remember, they were allowed... Also, uh, car parts and well, things for the oil industry, and their economy shows it. Their economy ha- has increased. Fifty billion dollars being released, if in fact that would be the case, it would be like a thirty percent jump for their GDP. Their gross domestic product would have a profound impact, but most of all, would enable them to continue to to expand their regional uh, uh, drive for hegemony. Their efforts in Yemen where they're spending all this money backing the Houthis, all the money they're spending in Sudan and other countries backing Assad, they're not going to put the money into the, to benefit the people of Iran. That money is going to go to, to continue their violations of human rights, their, their backing of terrorist entities around the world, and mostly their drive for hegemony in the region, challenging Saudi Arabia, taking over Iraq, uh, taking over Beirut, and Khamenei said it. We, for the first time, control... Or Arab capital. All right. Is there any way that the United States and or Israel or anyone else does have the technology, but we just don't know it or it's not made public, to identify those places we quote-unquote don't know about? Well, m- many times the information about the places that we read about and you do know about, Bordeaux, et cetera, came from dissidents inside Iran who gave the information. It wasn't intelligence, Israeli or American intelligence. Not even official spies, you mean? In some instances. And in other cases, it was, you know, satellite information, et cetera. Right. But Fordo is built underground. It's inside a mountain, so you can't tell what's, what's going on there. Parchin, which is the place where we believe the weaponization experimentation went on, uh, has been denied uh, to, the, to the IEA any access, and they have put six layers of concrete over it. Uh, they, you know, they try to cleanse the place. It didn't work. They took off the soil, and because there's probably a lot of radiation uh, and evidence of radiation and the experimentation that went on there. So uh, are, are there 
is it possible that there are places today that we don't know about? The answer is absolutely. It is possible. If it's, is it, uh, do we have the technology now to discover them? Probably not. I asked the president, in fact, about this, and he said, well, right now, the IA, it is true what the IAA told us, but we hope by then we will have additional technology and means to, to, uh, uh, uncover it to, to, to display it. By the way, you met with the president. Does he explain in, in any more of an, uh, of a, uh, understandable fashion the nature of this deal? Does he, does he know the timetable? Is he able to convey, you know, what steps are going to be taken and when when it comes to the U.S. relationship and, and everyone else's relationship with Iran? Um, I would say that the, because uh, it was off the record, I would say that the, um, his answer would be, "Look, we're negotiating it. We, we've just gotten the, the thing that we we." So first we at. first we announce the deal, then we negotiate it. Well, it's not a deal; it's a framework understanding, and no. you see the difference. Khamenei right away said the fact sheet that was put out, and, and Zarif rather said that the fact sheet that was put out is, is lie. America is spinning it. And the Russians uh, did say that the American version is closer, but others said no. That's the the Iranians uh, stuck by their guns, and subsequent statements would seem to indicate that that uh, some of the truth may lie closer to the to their position. But the Americans uh, put out a document. I don't know, thirteen hundred words, and the and they put out a document of two hundred eighty-one words, <laughs> three hundred words. So the the. And negotiations now are going on. Will determine the length of the, um, you know, the the uh, carry out of the of the agreement. Wh- what time frame we're talking about? What will be done in the first phase? What when sanctions will be lifted of the of the other side? And now it's complicated because you have Russia selling the S three hundred anti aircraft system. You have other things happening on the ground. And that, that was a direct sale, Russia to Iran. Russia to Iran was originally in 2009. If you remember, this is a very effective, we say offensive. He says defensive weapon uh, that will, you know, put the quote all options on the table in jeopardy because it'll be much more difficult. It can be overcome. And Israel is getting, you know, the is buying the F-35s, etc., which one could say could be linked to that. Uh, but it, it certainly complicates the situation, as do other things. Julie Bishop, the deputy, the foreign minister of Australia, was there, signed four or five agreements about intelligence sharing, other things. We know Europeans are in there. We know that there are negotiations going on all the time, the Chinese, the Russians, so that we're undermining the, the, the longer this delays. It's not that the status quo holds. It's that we're seeing further erosion all the time. And it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. We'll get to Congress, folks. Relax. We will get to it. i got to ask you this, though. You just alluded to the meeting. with the, There were two meetings at the White House that got a lot of publicity over the last couple of weeks. One was a, a quote-unquote Jewish leadership meeting the other one was a quote unquote uh, presidential supporters uh, meeting were you at one or both of those no I was at the first one and it, it seems at the second one there were people from our community advocating for the uh, the veto proof power that or, or I should say the veto power that uh, that Israel has enjoyed from the United States at the United Nations be suspended do you know if that was actually a topic of conversation and a request from members of our community during that meeting 
I, I do not know that. that uh, I do know that I raised it at the first meeting, and the president had made some comments about the reassessment and the, um, you know, the question of, of, you know, they need a reason for a veto and Netanyahu's position on two states, et cetera. And uh, I told him why I thought that there was a need for that and why that was, uh, you know, a, a, a critical uh, uh juncture that the, and that it's not just how he views it you got to think about how do how do the enemies of israel how does the, the other countries view it if the united states backs off israel at the united nations and that the consequences for the u.s and for israel people did say things you know one one person in i mean did say 80 percent of the american jewish community supports the, the uh, iran uh, deal and i said to him it's true 80 percent of american jews support a deal with iran they support a good deal. The problem is that 75% see this as a bad deal. Mm. And that the, the content of this, where's the consistency? We were told that the breakout time was 12 to 13 months all along, 12 to 15 months. Now we're told it's two to three months. It, what happened? How did that happen? And then the president himself said that in a year, it will be zero breakout time. So there's something inconsistent, there's something wrong with this picture. Do you think it's inappropriate for leaders and support, even supporters of the president, but people who who are there at the White House uh, with the assumption they care about Israel and are there to discuss Israel, do you think it's inappropriate that in that forum they ask the president to reconsider the U.S. attitude toward Israel at the United Nations? You mean negatively or positively? No, negatively. We did of ask them to reconsider it. Yeah, I, I understand that. But when <laughs> someone sits there, and again, the way the press painted it, it was as if they were demanding. And, and, and as well, a, I think that there were people, who, uh, some from J Street and others who were at both meetings, and uh, I did hear that report. Again, I wasn't there, so I can't say. And people didn't discuss the meetings because they were off the record. And uh, all I could say is that in the meeting uh, I attended, people made very clear points to the president. He had a bad cold and, you know, was sniffling all the time, so we sort of felt uh, it didn't uh, diminish the intensity of the exchanges that took place. Right. It's done respectfully, but it was done forcefully to, to raise the issues both regarding Iran and regarding the U.S.-Israel relationship. The fact that somebody says it, you know, at a meeting it is... Um, is unfortunate because the president then gets the image that you know the Jews are split and the American Jewish community is split, when in fact that is not the case. I don't find it when when I go around. People are deeply concerned, uh, deeply upset. They're upset about the Iran deal and and not just Jews but non-Jews as well. Um, I, I, I just am outraged when someone can from our community can walk in and add a lot of people would different views in that community. I know, but to advocate in, to, to advocate that in that forum, though? To advocate in that forum against Israel? It, it, to advocate for the, quote, reassessment, which will take the form, perhaps, of not vetoing a resolution uh, at the United Nations. I know, but it sounded like they weren't really arguing for a reassessment. They were arguing for a reassessment that would that would, that would eliminate this, this the, the uh uh, th- th- this veto power that Israel enjoys courtesy of the United States? Well, that is an issue that's on the table and which, as I said, we addressed. Uh, I, do not, I do not know what was said. I left right away for Poland from the meeting with the president, so I did not get a report about it. By the way, should I go to Eastern Europe or not? What would you say to me if we had a private conference? If we were sitting at Shalashudis, you and I? A round-trip ticket or one? 
And I, <laughs> thanks a lot. And I said to you, all right, you, you know my attitude. You know how I was raised in terms of the whole Eastern Europe thing. Do you think that me at this age already and in the, and in the position I'm fortunate to have, do you think it's time to go or not? Do I think you're old enough to do it? Yes. <laughs> do I think? You, Can't get a, a straight answer from you. From Absolutely. I, I don't, um, I mean, I have certain reservations, but I, I, again, I was there because I think each time I learned something new and I have benefited a lot uh, from it to understand how Jews live, not just how Jews died. Uh, you know, it also gives, puts in perspective when you go to a place like Gare, and you heard all the stories, and uh, you come there, and it's a little courtyard, and the um, you know the way the Jews lived, and you you can still see some remnants of it in places as you travel around, uh, the, you know the exaggerations. But at the same time, you go to Warsaw, and one out of every three people in Warsaw before the war was a Jew. Right. Now, many of them were not necessarily observant, and there were other movements and. But you have opportunities to learn about it and to see it. And, and when you, many of the places are sanitized. You know, to go to Umschlagswasa, you go to which are the gathering places. But there's now a new museum in, in Warsaw, which is worthwhile seeing. It's it's really very well done about the whole history uh, of the of the Jewish people, especially the Jews of Poland. By the way, I know we're way off topic, and I got to do the Congress thing, but. Toldot Yisrael has just released their new film, Air, Land, and Sea, all about Aliyah to Palestine after the First World War. It is remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. I mean, what people went through to get to Israel. And, you know, as we said yesterday, all we do is complain about the airline food. <laughs> what people went through to get to Israel at that time is just remarkable. I hope that you continue as we have to spread the word about that and all their incredible work. All right, Congress. So now that we've gotten to this point and we understand a little bit more about the deal and how it works and the framework and how it works, and we understand the presidential statements regarding it, what is the story with congressional involvement or uninvolvement in this deal? So it, it it's very complicated because there are different legal statuses. When if, you, if a treaty needs to have Senate approval, an agreement does not. And the president can cite numerous agreements reached by previous presidents that were not approved by uh, the Congress. There was legislation, there were, in fact, a number of bills that um, would have set deadlines originally now then for the June 30th deadline uh, for Congress to review the legislation, which is what the president did sign, the Corcoran Menendez bill. But it doesn't have the effect that some people think in terms of actually vetoing, giving them veto. They have a right to review. They have a right to introduce new sanctions. The president can veto those sanctions. The president can get waiver on those sanctions. He, he argues that this is a violation of presidential prerogative and a violation of the Constitution if the Congress goes too far, that the president's role is to negotiate those deals. and. The argument that we also support is that Congress should have the right to review. It's the voice of the people, and uh, th this is uh, something of, of such consequence. This is not, you know, a farm deal. This is something that affects the security of America for generations to come. But most immediately now, it affects our allies. It affects so many things at a time when Iran is more and more aggressive, and uh, the, the details are, are really critical here. And Congress has, by and large, been left out of the negotiations. It's being done by State Department and people in the White House. And so well, people are confused about it because it is confusing and because the, there's no yes or no answer 
to these things. I mean, we, we have people studying it in detail in order to understand exactly what the ramifications of every option are in terms of how this is, is dealt with. Congress, there are 50 uh, amendments that were being introduced to, to this legislation. There are many bills and other things that are being proposed. Many of them have been dropped already. Uh, some of them are, are going to proceed. But none of them will essentially create a veto. What they can do is to to ask for the, the right to review it and to be able to go to the American people about it. Right. And then they can take certain action. question is, do you have a veto-proof majority? I know a lot of people were confused. What was the, why 67 votes? What, what's the difference? 61 votes get a majority, so it would pass it. 51. If the president vetoes it, you need 67 votes, which means you needed more Democrats to come over to join the Republican majority to be able to override a presidential veto of legislation they passed. Right, 51 versus 67, right? No, 61 versus... It's 61? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even realize that. So it's not a regular majority. Okay. Um, so when people are encouraging everybody out there to take action and and connect with certain senators, it sounds like there's really no reason to do it. No, there is absolutely every reason. I just told you that three votes, two votes can make all the difference in the world. No, I understand, but the, but even if that would pass, even if that even if that let, let, let's say that legislation would go through, what would we gain from it? We'd gain that that the American people have a right, or that or that the the United States uh, uh, Congress or administration has to take the issue to the American no, the people. Legislation also affects the lifting of sanctions and uh, and Congress's uh, role in it. So it would have a direct effect. It would, ha- yes, absolutely. So well, there are as I said, there are different bills, different right. pieces of legislation, but it definitely has, and it's very critical that people continue to make their voice heard to show that we that we are really interested. You saw the polls. A third of the American people think we're losing the war to terrorists. Eighty-six yeah. percent think radical Islam is a, is a threat to our security. The vast majority of the American people do not like this deal with Iran, and, and a very significant percentage would even go for military option at this point. They understand it. They see that the the um, they've come to understand what the threat that's posed by Iran for, for the United States, aside from Israel, aside from the other countries in the region. And you saw how the Arab states formed this joint task force, which I mentioned even before uh, we had the break for, for Pesach about what the significance of that would be, and, and it wasn't public at that time. Uh, I've certainly talked for many, many, many months about Yemen. Now everybody is, is looking at it. We have warships sailing there from the United States, right. 10 ships. you got the, the Iranians with seven ships on their way there. You have uh, the Saudis bombing there. You have the threat to take over Baba Mandabi. You have al-Qaeda taking over a new base uh, inside Yemen. It's really critical. All these things are important. And if you, we have to send a message that we're watching and that we're demanding that the appropriate action be taken. You cannot trust Iran. We're not dealing with a democracy that's negotiating and maybe has some difference with us. Every aspect of this is really vital. And what we've seen is that the red lines keep getting erased or turning pink, and that's exactly what the Iranians probe for. They look for weakness, and they exploit it. They keep putting down hard-line positions, and they say, oh, you see, it's not us, but we have the IRGC to worry about. We have to to do it. Well, let the president be able to say, look, I have a Congress. I can't just do what you want because I have Congress, you know, breathing down my neck, and they will not allow it. So it's very important, the message that is sent. Uh, The... um 
activity, the harassment that's going on on the Temple Mount has become outrageous. And it seems from the videos that we see that the Israeli army and police can do very little about it or want to do very little about it. Obviously, you know why, because an image is going to go around the world of them, uh, you know, retaliating or reacting against a child or a woman, whoever's in their face. Uh, what could be done about what's happening up there? Well, I think once a government is formed and the uh, you have police, you have others who are uh, given orders and and given the mandate to to address it. Look, every every inch that is given on this is only going to worsen the situation because they will take advantage of it. You have women now up there uh, harassing and protesting because they know that nothing will be done to them. Uh, on Harazetim, we see also an escalation of, of some of the violence that it stopped because there isn't, uh, right now you don't even have ministers who are overseeing it. But I hope that once the government is formed, these issues will be given the proper attention and the steps that will be taken to to stop a, the harassment and the violence that goes on, but be to assert the appropriate role for Israel. These are our most sacred places. And um, who's behind it? Because yesterday Mayor Weingarten mentioned that he had heard that uh, the Jordanians and others are actually funding this effort, that it's an organized effort, and one where they want to make sure that at any moment that a Jew is up there in the Temple Mount, they are being attacked. I don't know that Jordan would be behind it. Jordan is given theoretical control, so is the King of Morocco, has supposed to have some say, the King of Saudi Arabia, all the descendants of uh, Muhammad. Uh, but the WAC is, is controlled by Jordan. Jordan pays for a lot of the upkeep and repairs there. I, I don't think there are people in Jordan who do want to see this, but, but the PA has been much more active in declaring Al-Aqsa's under siege, which they know evokes an immediate response, and, and you get riots, you get demonstrations. To the point where they would pay women and kids to do this? The, where they would uh, assign people to do it, and you could also, it can come easily from a lot of the Islamist groups who we know were inv- are involved in this, and that's why it's, it's not, it wouldn't be Jordan likely, but you can have, and you do have within the government of Jordan, people who are... Muslim Brotherhood-oriented and uh, who who could be, uh, uh, who play a role. But the king has generally uh, tried to be uh, assertive in, in, in containing situations and the Israelis, and they work together. Um, everybody, you know, has the excuse that they that they have to let the people let off steam and that we can't let the violations, et cetera, uh, take place. Is Israel selling weapons to the Ukraine? Could they? Yes. No, are, are they? they? I don't think so now. Would they? Uh, I, I have my doubts. And uh, finally, speaking of, uh, and then I brought that up, of course, because uh, Vladimir Putin had warned Israel not to, obviously suspecting they would. Uh, Vladimir Slaypak passed away. Vladimir Slaypak, one of the most well-known uh, refuseniks in the USSR, for those who remember the era of uh, fighting for Soviet Jewry. His funeral takes place this coming Sunday at 1 p.m. at the Plaza Memorial Chapel at 91st Street and Amsterdam Avenue in Manhattan. Got a note from Glenn Richter this morning encouraging everybody in our audience uh, who is involved in the movement. Many people knew him. Uh, they should go to the funeral and pay a final tribute to him. Again, that's at the Plaza Memorial Chapel, 1 o'clock this coming Sunday. And he writes that his apartment, meaning Slapeback's apartment, became the Grand Central Station on Gorky Street in downtown Moscow for thousands of refuseniks and Western visitors. I am sure you were in that apartment, Malcolm. Could you give us, I know you don't always like to speak publicly about the episodes from those years, but could you give us something to paint a picture of what it was like 
like in that area, in that apartment in Moscow in those days? Well, first of all, you could hardly fit in there. And they would, the dissidents would come together, the Jewish uh, movement would come together, and Slepak uh, was a longtime leader. He was a longtime refusenik. Uh, he had lived in Israel he, he, uh, until recently. Uh, I think three years ago he, he moved here to New York. Um, he, he's, his apartment became, and there were a couple of places, but I think his was primary, a place where people would come together and to talk, to discuss, and they knew that they were under scrutiny. They knew that they were jeopardizing themselves, but this was the nature of the movement, which people have forgotten, and young people today don't know anything about, and it's very regrettable. Uh, there are some films about the, this history of the Soviet Jewry movement, which I hope people, schools especially, will insist that the, the kids get to see it, because when I mention things to them today, <laughs> not only do they not know any of the names, including Sharansky, they have no idea about what the movement did and how uh, Jews abroad, Jews especially in the United States, but everywhere around the world mobilized, and how working together with Jews who put their lives on the line were able to turn the Iron Curtain into Venetian blind. They made the Soviet, the Perestroika and, and Glasnost possible. And I think that the, the um, you know, the failure to, to educate young people about it, about that era, about how all of these, uh, this million people got out, as an inspiration for what you can do and how you can accomplish things, especially at a time when we see people feel helpless in view of Iran, helpless in view of the other things. We are not helpless at all. And, you you, you know, when they saw the parade like this weekend, the military parade in Iran with the death to Israel and death to America on the missiles, and you hear Khamenei say not only that, but death to Jews as well. And as I said to the president, we take the threats of dictators seriously. They mean it. And, and in the past, Hitler told us everything, and we didn't take it seriously. Stalin told us what he was going to do. We have to take it seriously. And people can't feel that they're not efficacious, that they can't make a difference. You can, against even the worst dictatorships, you can make a difference. When people mobilize, when people stand together, we have to have the access, the unity in the community. I hope the government of Israel will represent that kind of unity so they can act decisively on the many issues, external, internal. We see a world in uproar. The, the changes took place just in the in these last couple of weeks that we weren't on. Uh, it's encyclopedias. It's not something you can do in 40 minutes, and it's very frustrating because each of these issues deserves so much attention because they're going to have long-term ramifications. Yeah, no quite. Well, we'll continue to catch up next week, please, God. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak yeah. again next week. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update Fridays here at JM in the AM. Candle lighting at 725 on this era of Shabbos, Parshas, Tazria, and Mitzora. Uh, it'll be uh, Achremos and Kedoshim in Israel. Day 20 in the counting of the Omer. That's uh, two weeks and six days. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Hey, our friend uh, Chaim Kiss, Cantor Chaim Kiss, is the guest cantor at Fifth Avenue Synagogue tomorrow. We say good luck to him, and a uh, big shout-out to everybody up at Fifth Avenue Synagogue. Enjoy Chaim Kiss. He is an amazing man, and uh, we wish him luck up there tomorrow. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, uh, Rabbi Benjamin Yudin spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. 
Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading the parshios of Sazria and Mitzora. According to the Chinuch, Sazria contains seven mitzvos, five positive and two restrictions, and Mitzora contains eleven positive mitzvos. Interestingly, Sazria begins with the laws of uh, Tumas Yoledes, the impurity which sets in with childbirth. Take a look at the Orachayim Kadosh for a fascinating insight. And you have as well the mitzvah of circumcision. Uvayom Hashmini Yimol Besar Orloso, teaching us that even on Shabbos, if the baby is born a natural birth as opposed to caesarean. And finally, Mitzora ends with the laws of what we call Taras HaMishpacha, the laws of family purity, Nida and Zava. Now, in between, you have one of the more challenging concepts of the Torah, and that is the laws of Tzora'as, what brings it on, while it's not specified exactly, and the purification process. For lack of a better term, we use the English term leprosy to describe Tzora'as, but you must ask yourself, my goodness, the Torah is not a um, medical journal, and it doesn't address any other disease. Why? specifically over here. So, number one, the Rambam, at the end of the laws of Tumas Tzora'as, in chapter 16, Halacha Yud, the Rambam tells us very clearly that the Tzora'as, which is found in the Torah, Eino Miminhogo Shel Olam. This is not in the natural part of the world. In other words, it's an os upele, it's a wonder, a sign, shehoyabi Yisrael, which occurred only within the Jewish people, in order to deflect them and to warn them and keep them a distance from Lashon Hara. And literally, the Torah is telling us that when a person unfortunately did speak Lashon Hara, did speak bad about the next one, did cause a schism between husband and wife, between individuals. So it first began with the home, discolorations until the home was hutats, which means it was taken apart, dismantled. If the person persisted, it went to his clothing, which had to be burnt, and finally to actually his body itself. Now, the Ramban, when he speaks about in Sazria, chapter 13, verse 47, regarding the leprosy on the garment. So the first thing he says is, This is not any kind of a usual phenomena in this world. And moreover, what does he say? It only applies in Eretz Yisrael, Shehinachalas Hashem, which is literally the domain of God, and this is God's immediate 
personal intervention in the lives of the Jewish people in their land in order to keep them literally on the straight and narrow. I'd like to focus on Nigei Batim, the uh, affliction which occurs to the home, found in Mitzorah, chapter 14, with beginning with Pasuk Lamedalid, and the Kliyokar notes that the introduction to this is a bit challenging. When you come to the land that I am giving to you as an inheritance, then I will literally place or give a tzara'as affliction upon a house in the land of your possession. Make up your mind, asks the Kliyakar. Is it the land of of God's that He's giving to us, La Chuza, or is it your Achuza? And clearly He gives the following very insightful answer that God is giving you the land and He's giving you homes that you should reflect His characteristics of generosity. And therefore, when does this occur? Uva Asheloa Bayas. This issue comes when a person has, as the Gemara in Eirechen tells us, Tzorus Ayin, which means that he is selfish, as opposed to being selfless, as opposed to sharing with others, which is the very purpose of of one's home, which is why, interestingly, when one is privileged to acquire a new home, they make the bracha, not she'achiyanu, because she'achiyanu is that for things which you're going to use for yourself. You make the bracha of hatov amitiv, because in and through my home, I'm going to be able to extend hospitality to others. I'm going to make it a base vad chachamim. I'm going to be able to raise money for tzedakah in my home by having meetings on behalf of needy institutions and needing persons. So the Torah tells us, uva asheloha bayis, the person who thinks, unfortunately, that the home belongs to him, that is the first step towards Nigei Batim. But I'd like to share with you two different Midrashim, um, both found in the Medrash Rabbah in Vayikra chapter 17, whereby the first one, Rashi quotes, why are we going to be afflicted with the um, Tzara'as on the home? Because, and I quote, has etminu Amoroyim matmonio shelzav bekiros botehem al arboyim shona sho Yisrael bamidbar. The Amorite nations living in the land of Israel were afraid that when the Jewish people would come into the land, and they knew they'd be coming, they would get all their possessions. And they said, oh my goodness, the treasures that we have, if we will not have them, we don't want the Jewish people to have them either. So they literally hid them in their walls, the walls of their home. 
And now, what's happening? You come to the land, and you notice the discoloration on the wall. You come to the Kohen. He tells you to, and we'll see in a moment why, first of all, remove everything from the home, and then, if it proves to be Tzara'as, you take the home apart, and as a result, you're going to find the treasure. So this is Venosati. This is a positive um, note and a positive uh, indication that the Torah is telling us the Jewish people will have. There is, however, in that same chapter in the Medrash, the Medrash says, what brings this on? Once again, this Tzoros Ayin, there's a person only focusing on himself, so that when various neighbors each ask a person, could you lend me this, can you lend me that? Well, he says, I'm sorry I don't have, I'm sorry I don't have. So what does the Hashem do? Hashem causes that in that house there's going to be the Tzoros, the person once again goes to the Kohen, and he says, before I come and look, remove everything from the house. Now, it's not that the community are a bunch of yentas, but you can't help it. When he starts taking everything out of the house, ah, oh, there is that step stool that you said you didn't have. Ah, oh, there is that spatula you said you didn't have. There is this and there is that. So again, what Hashem is doing is coming in and keeping people on the straight and narrow course. The Klayoka says there's no contradiction between these two Midrashim. The first one, whereby you're going to find it, is going, because they buried the treasures, this is a reward for those who are just and share their possession with others. And the other one, namely, that uh, you're not going to get it, the treasure, but the home will be emptied out, that's because of your Tzorus Ayin. What emerges from Nigei Batim and the other aspects of Tzorahas is the incredible Hashkocha Pratis, the incredible divine providence found between God and the Jewish people in the land of Israel. This is buttressed by the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Sadiches Amaralev. There, well worthwhile looking at that piece of Gemara. The Gemara is talking about signs, which would be indicative that it is the time of the Geula, the ultimate redemption and the end of our exile, comes along Rav Abba, and he says, There's no clearer indication as to when the end of our exile is going to be than this. And he cites from chapter 36 in the book of Yechezkel, V'yatem horei Yisrael, you, the mountains of Israel, anpechem titenu, you shall shoot forth your branches, and upiryachem tisu, and you shall bear your fruit, liami Yisrael, for my people Israel, kikervulavo, who are about to come. In other words, the Navi is saying, you want to know when we are towards the end of this period of Galos? Look at the land of Israel, and when it begins to blossom and to produce 
again and more and more, there's no greater indication. Now, you have to understand, if you look in Parshas Bichukosai, when the Torah speaks about the Tochacha, the curses which will befall the Jewish people when they are in exile. So what does the Torah say? Vashimosi ani esa'aretz. Literally, says God, I will ensure and keep the land desolate. Your land will be desolate. And so it was for 18 more hundred years Whoever was there could not make a go in the land of Israel, whatever it was called throughout history. They couldn't grow things in any kind of an abundance. And when the Jewish people have come home, the land has responded to us, and there is this literal fulfillment of the prophecy of Yechezkel. And... We see today that not only is the land of Israel producing for its people and Bliayin Hara, as we keep coming, and 32,000 Bliayin Hara made Aliyah this past year, but it, in addition, sit down, 47 billion dollars worth of Export was done a year now, in Eretz Yisrael. What is going on in Eretz Yisrael? We see the divine wink towards his land and towards his people. Such remarkable things. Not only the return of so many towards Torah, there's an awakening and a, an appreciation of our tradition, even among those who are not yet as observant. There is a greater warmth and recognition of our very special heritage. And such special things are happening in our land. I just want to share with you one, and that is in the Israeli Defense Forces, there is a unit called Unit 9900. And what is this unit? It is made up of artistic soldiers. An incredible accomplishment. They've realized that take the talent of autistic individuals that are oftentimes able to detect small details that most people miss. And therefore, they are, they have a special uh, capability and a special analytic capability. And therefore, they are being used for intelligence analysis regarding geography, mapping, aerial and satellite photography, space research, amazing 
This is what is happening, giving them dignity and giving us a greater even sense of security within our very special land. I close with the Gemara we had in the Dafyomi just a few days ago, whereby Rav Mesha says a beautiful Pasuk from Tehillim, whereby Ulitzion Yomar, Yeyomar, Ish Ish Yuladba, the Pasuk from Tehillim 87.5 To Tzion it shall be said, This man, this man was born in her, and he will establish her on high. Says Rav This applies to the one who was literally born in Israel, and the one who yearns to see her. While we're not yet home. We should all be at least privileged to be counted among those ish ve'ish yuladba, our tzipia, our yearning, our pining to see the final redemption in Sion, which we are bliya on our way, should make us appreciate Parsha, Sazria, and Mitzora, which speaks of the special relationship between God and His people and His land. And it's coming true. Thank God. Bimheira Biyamenu. Shabbat Shalom. J.M. in the A.M. on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, candle lighting at 725 on this Erev Shabbos, Parsha Sazria and Mitzorah. Dr. Fagi Zakheim is with us live via telephone. She uh, always brings us interesting uh, topics and events, and there is one coming up this coming week um, uh, called Culinary for a Cause, and it's for an amazing school that Fagi told me about. You know, normally when we post... Our guests, so we'll write on the uh, on the playlist, you know, Nachum Siegel speaks with this one or that one. But Fagi has lined up uh, so many people to speak with us this morning that we simply wrote, Nachum Siegel speaks with Dr. Fagi Zakheim and all her guests. Dr. Fagi Zakheim, welcome back to JM in the AM. <laughs> Hi, Nachum. How are you? We, 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 just wrote, we just wrote a general uh, a general category that you and all the people that you've invited this morning are on the air today. Well, Nachum, I'm really excited to be on today because today, you know, usually I come on to the task force and I love doing that. But today I'm on really for a personal reason and I'm very excited to talk to you about it. So I figured I'd bring along all my guests with me because it's so personal. I don't blame you. Tell me about culinary for a cause and tell me the cause that it's going to be supporting. Okay. So there are two things we're going to talk about in our time on the show. We're going to talk about Food, which is a great topic. Oh, I thought yeah. you'd get very excited about that. Love food. So we're talking about food and we're talking about school, okay. right? Food and school. All right. So we'll start with the school. Okay. Um, my grandson, Moshe, who is the most amazing child, and I love him very, very dearly, has um, issues with social and behavioral challenges. And we really had to think about where to put him into school because we wanted him to feel comfortable. And we found this school that we adore. It's called Ha'ar Beacon School. And the reason that we love this school so much is because they have partnered with the family, with my daughter Arielle and her husband Aryeh, and they have become parental partners for Moshe. And they don't just do this for Moshe. They do this for every single child in the school. And I have watched my grandson become this phenomenal 
loved child. He's loved at home. He's loved in school. They're available 24 hours. We, if, he, if he's having a bad night at 7.30 at night, you can actually call them. And the classes are six kids in a class. And he feels like a regular, normal kid in the class because even though he's very active, a little bit overly active, the other kids in the class are also overly active. So he feels like a regular kid. And Ariella feels like a regular mother. And I think the best part of it is that on top of all of this, it has really taught my other children and grandchildren how to behave with somebody who is not exactly like them, mm. somebody who's a little bit different. And my, my grandchildren, the other ones, have become so exceptionally special in terms of how they relate to other children. And it's, it's such an advantage. So they have taken our family and they have elevated our family to a place where we really understand that if a child is a little bit different, we know how to talk to them. We know how to love them. We know how to embrace them. They have taught us all of this in school. Or Deacon School has taught us all of this. So I figured, you know, if I'm coming on the show, <laughs> I'm not going to steal the whole show. Why am I not bringing on with me Sarah Selengut and Javi Katz, who are the people who have taught our family how to relate to children that are a little bit different? It says here that the Sarah Selengut is the principal of the school and Javi Katz the clinical director of the school. Yeah, but you know what? What they really are, they are amazing human beings. They are amazing people who mother every single child. You know, like you've come in to visit Moshe in school. Moshe loves them. They're warm. They're endearing. It's, it's just a wonderful place. So the real reason I'm on the show is really just to say that I'm so grateful to them for helping, our, you know, for helping all of us, for making our, our home a very special place because we love having Moshe around. And they're part of the family. And they do, this is not just Peggy Zackheim or, or Miriam Deitch or Miriam Schwartz. They do this for for every single family that's in this school. Dr. It's a wonderful place to be. Dr. Feige Zakheim is with us. Let's speak to Mrs. Solengut for a moment. Is she there? Okay, and then I want to come back and talk about food. Well, of no, course! Are you kidding? Nothing. You want to talk about Some food. Some might right? argue that's the most important part of this conversation. Exactly. Are you kidding? Exactly. All right, hold on one second. I'm giving you Sarah Solengut. There you go. This is Dr. Zakheim with her Hello. Cast of wonderful people. All right, Mrs. Sullingut, welcome to the show, principal of the Har Beacon School in Brooklyn, New York. What's the secret to your success? You heard the introduction that Faggy just gave you. What's the secret? Why is this school such a success? Hello? Did we lose? We're here. Go ahead. Are you there? Yeah, we're here. Go right ahead. So the secret to our success is that these children feel they're so happy. They come into school. They've struggled in other places before. And when they walk in, they just have this feeling. It's like a sigh of relief. You know, parents ask us all the time, what's my child going to feel like if they're used to a class of 25 children? They're used to a big school building, and now they're coming in, and they're in a small class. And we say, you know what? They walk into the building, and they're just like, somebody gets me. I'm not roaming the halls. I'm not, you know, being kicked out of class. Or if I say something to a teacher or to a friend that wasn't necessarily appropriate, it's not because they mean to be bad or they mean to be disrespectful. They just they just didn't get it, and now people didn't get them, and now we get them. And so class size, unhappy. so class size is obviously important. Yes. Uh, you, you head toward more individual instruction when you have a, a class size that's smaller. Correct. And, and you, I mean, how do you find staff for a school like this? You must deal with a lot of specialists who are able to uh, utilize their expertise to implement it in the in the classroom. Yes, our teachers in Rebbeim. We have all our teachers in Rebbeim that are masters, master level. They're they're state certified. They are trained behaviorally, they are trained socially, we have many behavior modification systems, our staff is constantly going to trainings to learn more, to gain more, to 
increase our knowledge and just bring new programs into the school to help our children. You're actually... And they do such an amazing job that our kids go to typical mainstream camps. They're in uh, Dora Golding, Arshraga, Maginav, Banim, Gavoa. Our kids have moved on to typical, um, you know, yeshivas. Now, who's who, who's this speaking? This is Javi Katz. Oh, this is Javi Katz. This is the clinical director of the school. Right. And so 12 months out of the year, you're in touch with the parents, not just during the school year. Absolutely. The parents can call us. I'll have parents who will text me at 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm just giving you a heads up. My son's not in the best mood today. And will text me throughout the day. How's he doing? Will call me at night. It's a constant. We're constantly in touch. And you're uh, you're based in Brooklyn. You're attracting students from places like Farakway and the Five Towns and Queens and Manhattan, etc. I mean, they're coming from all over. Yes, catered to the entire Jewish community. We have children from Flatbush, Borough Park, Crown Heights, Farakway, Five Towns, Queens, New Jersey, Staten Island, Manhattan. All over. Very nice. Ourselves the United Nations. We have from every <laughs> level of religious observance. Um, we're talking about the Ha'ar Beacon School, and it's based in Brooklyn, New York. They have a big event coming up on Tuesday, which we'll get to in a minute. Jennifer Martin is another one of the people who's been invited here this morning. Jennifer's a former parent of the school. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning. What can you add to this conversation from the parental perspective about why uh, this uh, specific Ha'ar Beacon School is doing so well? Well, any, char- any parent that has a challenging child knows the feeling that you get inside your stomach when your phone rings and you look at the number and you know it's their school calling. <laughs> That's for sure. You know that there's a problem. <laughs> and um, when our son was in first grade, I got that call on a regular basis. And finally the principal said, come into our school, we need to talk. We got in there and uh, he drew an imaginary box in the air and he said, this is a box and your son does not fit in it. And because your son does not fit into this box, we can no longer handle his behavior challenges. So they asked him to leave. And it, it, was, it was devastating. It was devastating. And finally, when we did find um, Ha'or Beacon or David, it was a school that was equipped to handle the challenges of children outside that box. Wow. Um, they helped him with the behavior program. They helped him learn how to... Um, handle the challenges that he had, frustration tolerance, anger management. They taught him how to express himself in, in a positive manner. And um, he was there for several years, and actually when he was in seventh grade, he decided that he didn't want to be in a behavior program anymore. He wanted to be in a regular mainstream school, and um, he worked really, really hard at it. And Baruch Hashem, he is in a regular, typical school. He's a regular kid. He does not have behavior problems. Um, he's got typical problems of, you know, regular kids. And um, when people who know about the school, when he tells them that he'd gone there, they're shocked because they, they don't see any of that. But it was hard work. And, and as they were mentioning, it, it, it's the parents and the school that works together. That's where you're going to find success with the All communication right. back and forth. But they know what they're doing, and it, it is really, it's huge. It's huge for a parent who has suffered for years with with having their children in the wrong place. All right, Ha'or Beacon School presents Culinary for a Cause, a Chinese auction and evening with the stars of kosher food media to benefit the children of Ha'or Beacon School. It's happening Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday at the Young Israel of Avenue K in Brooklyn, New York. That's... uh, uh, 7 p.m. this coming Tuesday night. It'll feature Naomi, oh, our very own Naomi Nachman, the Aussie Gourmet, will be there. 
and Miriam Pascal, overtime cook, Victoria Dweck, cookbook author, Hani Applebaum, busy in Brooklyn, Schiffer Klein, Joy of Kosher, Dini Klein, delicious dishes with live demonstrations, a sumptuous Fleischig buffet, a dessert table, an auction viewing that starts at 7, the auction drawing starts at 10.30, and there'll be cooking demonstrations beginning at 8 p.m. We'll ask Fagy Zakheim to come back on the telephone with us and tell us more about this event. Dr. Zakheim, what could you tell us about Tuesday evening in Brooklyn, New York? Dr. Zakheim here to talk about food. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Young Israel of Avenue K, it's, it's twofold. Part of this is a Chinese auction, and part of it is, is a food party. Right. So now for the food party, it's at Young Israel of Avenue K, Connie Applebaum, Victoria Dweck, all these very famous foodies are going to be there. As a matter of fact, um, Nachum, I'm giving you two tickets Ooh. for Stacey and her closest friend to come by. All right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very exciting. You actually get them to cook, watch them cook the food, and you get the tastings of the food. Forget that. I hope she brings home some great prizes. I'm going to make sure. <laughs> so that's the second part. So the second part is the Chinese auction part. Now, the Chinese auction goes beyond the world of Young Israel of Avenue K because people can open up the website and see what's on the Chinese auction, and they can live in Las Vegas. They can live anywhere. They can live in New Zealand and go on the website and order things from the Chinese auction, which are fabulous things. If you look at it, it's really fun stuff. They have great stuff. They can order things on the website, and and they can be in the auction. So the, two things. One is the Chinese auction that's worldwide, and uh, actually the code for the auction is your, uh, you are the code, Nachum, J-M-A-M is ooh, the code for the auction. I like that. It's called culinaryforacause.com. Go to that website, culinaryforacause.com. Use the code J-M-A-M when you get your tickets and everything. Uh, we, we, we got only have a couple of minutes left. I want to get to Hani Applebaum. She's one of these amazing foodies, as you say, one of the key people in kosher food media from busy in Brooklyn. Hani, welcome to JM in the AM. Hi. Nice, nice to speak with you. Tell us about Tuesday night. Uh, what's going to be happening? What type of demonstrations are you planning? What's going to be happening from your end on Tuesday night? Well, it's really, really exciting. We have all the, uh, all the famous foodies. Um, in the industry, and uh, everyone's going to be having a different course that they're going to be demonstrating. Uh, I'm going to be doing hors d'oeuvres, and Naomi's going to be doing appetizers, and then we have uh, Miriam Pascal, the overtime cook, the famous uh, dessert pro. She's writing a cookbook, and she's actually really busy, but she's coming out to demonstrate a dessert. And uh, we have Deanie Klein from Deanie Delivers, who does the YouTube videos, and she's going to be doing a side dish. So everybody's getting um, different parts of a meal so that, you know, we can walk everyone through how to make a whole entire meal. And then the caterer is going to be preparing samples of what we're going to be demonstrating so you get to taste it as well. Connie, which uh, hors d'oeuvre are you uh, are you leaning toward? Are you considering for Tuesday night? Um, I'm probably going to be doing a, a mini uh, Asian turkey slider on a cauliflower bun because oh. cauliflower, everything is really, really uh, trending right now. Oh, do I love cauliflower? People are making cauliflower pizza now. Exactly. So I'm going to show everyone how to make cauliflower buns, which is uh, really fun and, and great way to eat low carb. And uh, we're going to finish it off with some pickled cucumbers. Oh, so I'm going to show a little bit of how to pickle over there. Okay. And um, everyone's going to learn so much because we have lots of tricks up our sleeves and 
you know, it's going to be really a, a very delicious evening. All right, Tuesday night, Young Israel of Avenue K, culinaryforacause.com, culinaryforacause.com. Enjoy the auction, everybody. Enjoy the cooking demonstrations. Dr. Zakheim, we're out of time. Good luck Tuesday night with the big event. Thank you, Nachum. Nachum. Yeah. We're doing a special. If they order $85 worth of tickets today, they'll get back $20. An extra 20 bucks. Yes, and use their code, JMAM. You're in. You, use you're, you're the, our partner. Use the code the, is JMAM. Put in $85. You get back 20 use, You have an extra $20 to spend. Use the code JMAM, culinaryforacause.com. Dr. Zakheim. Nachum, you're the best. You are so the best. Have a great show. Have a wonderful Shabbos and good luck Tuesday night with the big event, culinaryforacause.com. Benefits are David, uh, the uh, Ha'or Beacon School in Brooklyn. And as uh, you just heard, we keep hearing that they're doing amazing work. Time to say good Shabbos. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left. Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator, it's a very special sign will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Coming up next on jmnam.org, part two of that amazing barbecue special with Naomi Nachman and Mark Zamek. That's happening next between 9 and 10 on Table for Two, and then an amazing Kedem Erev Shabbos music stream uh, coming up starting at the 10 a.m. Eastern time all the way until candle lighting. Enjoy. A Sunday will be at the OU Jewish Community Fair. Make sure to join us, everybody. Community Fair uh, happens in New York City this coming Sunday. We'll be there starting at 1 p.m. Make sure to join us by tuning in or by attending.